hearts, Lord. Um, and I pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen and amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to meet me in John chapter number 13. John chapter number 13. Uh, the leadership of the church, we prayerfully discussed looking forward into 2024, what, uh, what God would have for us as a, a mission and a vision together. And Todd, you have no idea what an encouragement that tap on my back is every week. Thank you. And we've uh, come together to say that what we love for our church to be able to do is, is we would love to see us become a church that knows, grows, shows, and goes with the gospel. If we're going to end with going, though, if we're not, we need to be able to know the gospel that we're going to go with. And so the first quarter, January through March of this year, uh, we're going to spend some, some time trying to know the gospel and grow in a very personal level. And it, it, that's, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, Matt mentioned some books on the table in the back. Uh, the leadership has purchased uh, books for the church, uh, there's three different books back there that will help you know the gospel on a personal level. And we're very excited about what that's going to look like in 2024. You don't know this about me as we get to, get to know one, one another. But uh, one of my favorite places to ever walk is downtown Chicago. I love going there with my family and when I was a youth pastor taking youth groups down there. I love walking down Michigan Avenue, which is called the Magnificent Mile or the Million Dollar Mile. And there's skyscrapers that tower in, in every direction. And many of those structures have wonderful memories for myself and or my family. I took pictures, I remember taking pictures from the Sears Tower, the, at that time was the world's tallest structure when Jamie and I were dating in high school. We also enjoyed many times going up to the top, I shouldn't say many times, a few times, we've been up to the top of the John Hancock Center where there used to be a restaurant called the Signature Room. And our favorite restaurant is at the bottom of the John Hancock Center, the Cheesecake Factory. We love going there. And the night of our engagement, Jamie and I were at the top of the Lake Point Towers uh, where celebrating uh, our, our engagement. Our family loves going into Water Tower Place and uh, riding the glass elevators up and down multiple times. And I like, to, I like to act like I'm in charge of the elevators. I just stay in there and take people up and down, ask, ask them what floor they want to go to, and yeah, uh, often ask for tips as well. That doesn't, that doesn't work out so well. But we love the glass elevators in Water Tower Mall and and. At the bottom of the Prudential Plaza building is one of the original Giordano's uh, deep dish in Chicago. If you've never had Giordano's, you are missing life. Uh, this is the best uh, pizza in the world. number of years ago, though, I mean, I'm talking like over 20 years ago, our family took an architectural tour, a boat tour through downtown Chicago where they take you in the river and you get to see a perspective that you can't see from the street. They were explaining many times on what buildings were built and in what order. And then we came upon a very open, empty lot. Now, this is not an actual picture. This is a rendering. But we came upon a, um, an empty lot in, in a specific area right next to the river. And our guide told us that plans were in the works for a new building, skyscraper, to be built on that spot. It would be the largest structure in Chicago. It was to be called the spire. And that was a little bit of an artist's rendering of what it would look like. 
Many years later, I remember specifically walking along Lakeshore Drive and looking over at that spot and being reminded of that tour, that boat tour that we took where the spire was supposed to be built, and yet that lot still sat empty with just a big hole in the ground. Because when the recession hit, the financing just dried up and nothing was ever done. But here's the thing about that piece of land. It's not like someone lacked a vision. Someone had seen a structure becoming a part of the city skyline. and They had blueprints drawn up. They had gotten the financing for it. They had even started to build, and yet long after it sat idle, empty, and in many ways, useless. Someone's vision was never completed. So as we come together on the first Sunday of of a new year, let's be honest, Most of us have taken at least, even if it was just a small amount of time, to look at our lives and either to reflect or to look towards the future and say, it's like, what do we want to be different in 2024? For many of us, it's it's the health of our bodies, although I don't really know if it's the health of our bodies as much as it's the image of our bodies that we want to look better, and so we've got to do things to make them more healthy. But the reality is, and I don't mean to discourage you by saying this, but the reality is that most of the resolutions people make this year, they're going to make again next year. I can't even begin to think how many years I've said, all right, this is the year I'm going to lose weight. Every year I make that resolution. I have a desire to change. And many times I've even had a plan of how to change so then why do things tend to stay the same? And I would, I would venture to believe that it's mainly because when we are faced with either the choice of satisfying our desires instantly or having to deny ourselves, knowing that there is a possibility of a future fulfillment someday, we typically tend to choose immediate satisfaction. Or when faced with the choice of present satisfaction or future fulfillment, most of us choose immediate gratification. It's why we sit on the couch and eat cookies instead of getting on a treadmill, although we said, I'm going to lose weight because the cookie tastes better in the moment. It's why we set the alarm clock early so we get up. It's a decision we're making and even have a plan for it. But when the alarm clock goes off, what do we want to do? Stay in bed. Boom, snooze. I'm staying here. Immediate gratification. Even though if we get up, there's going to be future fulfillment. It's why we don't hold our tongues. It's why we say what we want to say instead of, being quiet and offering grace because it makes us feel better to let you know how I feel. It's it's why we turn on a movie or play video games instead of opening up our Bibles. Ask any believer 
any believer, what is going to be more beneficial to your life? Reading a chapter of the Bible or watching another episode of The Office? All right. Is, am I getting personal now? Sorry about that. So, did, did, that one, did, did your toe get stuffed on on that one? It's my bad. I was not my intention. There is no believer that will say, you know what? It is better for me to sit and watch one more Michael Scott comment uh, than it is to read about the words of Jesus Christ. But the reason we choose to watch another episode of The Office instead of opening up our Bibles is because this makes us feel better and the Bible does not bring immediate gratification in any way. It is something that we'll probably see a long time from now if we ever really do see it. Let's just pause for a moment. Ask a, let me just ask you a question. And I, I don't want you to raise a hand. I don't want you to answer me. I just want you to think. Do you want to be more like Jesus at the end of 2024 than you are today? I mean, if you're here today and you would say, absolutely not, I don't really care about being like Jesus, uh, man, I would really encourage you to get to know Jesus because if we know him, we will want to be like him. I, that would be a truth. But if you're a believer, I would guess most of you are like here, yeah, I would really like to be more like Jesus at the end of this year. So we have this desire, right? And sometimes we might even make a plan. So what's the plan? Well, how many of you have ever... I'm not going to ask you to actually raise your hand. But how many of you have ever said, I'm going to read the Bible through this year. It's only three chapters a day, and I'm going to try to do it. And you get a, maybe a month or two in, and you've completely forgotten about the fact that you made that plan. I mean, I've done this so many times. I have many journals sitting in my house, and they're cool on the outside, these journals. They're really cool looking because I bought them to think, I'm going to fill this up with what God's doing in my life. They're still empty. I have come across multiple times a prayer list that I started in a small little notebook that I'm going to begin a prayer life that is regular and routine. And those prayer lists are like from years ago that I've stopped filling out and praying. So like, what do we do about this? We have this desire, we have this plan, but we always fail. Could I ask us to consider, what if instead of saying this is what I want to do this year and this is how I'm going to accomplish it, what if we, what if we paused and simply thought, what does Jesus want to see different in my life this year and how is he going to accomplish that in me? And the cool thing is, if we're willing to say, yeah, that's a good idea, we don't have to wonder, what does Jesus want? Because we have his word. And I want to show you just a couple of things, from the, mainly from the last few days of Jesus' life, actually the last few hours of Jesus' life, where he tells us what he wants. Actually, he takes this group of 12 men, and he tells them, this is what I want. Look at, look at John chapter number 13 with, you, with me. John chapter 13. And I wish I could go into great detail, but this is right after Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. Look at verse number 14. John chapter 13, verse number 14 says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, or your Lord and rabbi, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Hey, so you want to know what does Jesus want in my life this year? Jesus desires for his followers to serve those who should be serving them. Because Jesus knelt before a group of men who should have been kneeling before him. He was their Lord. He was their rabbi. And yet he was washing their feet. And he calls his followers to a life of service. But here's what you have to catch from this verse. He says, I have given you an example. Jesus says, watch me. Let's go on a little further. He says him something else in verse 34. Same chapter, John 13, verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciple if you have love, if you have love for one another. So here's something else Jesus desires for his followers. Love others. And so many things are encapsulated in these two verses because Jesus is changing a commandment. It's a new commandment. It used to be love others as you love yourself. But, re but remember, we, we mentioned this earlier when we were talking about through Exodus. That's a limited love. I love myself so much, I don't want to hurt myself. So I can love you to the point where it begins to hurt me, and I'm still loving you like I love me. But Jesus says, no, I'm giving you a new commandment. You are to love others as I have loved you, and there's no limits on my love. I will hurt myself. In fact, I will give my life to show you how much I love you. Now you go love people the same way. And Jesus, again, is saying, not do this. He's saying, I've done this. Look at me and then go do the same. Let me show you one more. John chapter 14. Actually, I have two more, but the next one. John chapter 14. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So Jesus says, believe in me. But here, okay, that's very vague. What exactly are we supposed to believe? Well, he's going to tell them a little bit later in the chapter. Skip to verse number 10. Verse number 10. Jesus says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. You know, Jesus is calling his disciples to believe that he is God, that the nature of God the Father is in the Son, and that the works of the Son are actually and truly the works of the Father. He wants his followers to believe that he is truly God, and that the works he is accomplishing are the works of God. God, meaning when, when Jesus bends the laws of nature and he walks on water and, and he turns water into wine and he multiplies bread and fish, he wants his disciples to see that's God. When he raises the dead, he wants them to see that's God healing. When he heals the lepers, that is God healing the lepers. And when Jesus kneels to serve them, that is God kneeling to serve me. Meaning, when Jesus goes to the cross to bear the wrath of sin for humanity, that is God displaying how far he is willing to go to bring redemption to his rebellious creatures. Believe me, I am God. I can die for your sins. 
believe in me. But to see the works that Jesus is doing, you have to see him. So again, watch me serve, watch me love, watch me work, believe in me. And one last one in John chapter 15, verse number four. One last command Jesus says. John chapter 15, verse number four. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Then Jesus says, abide in me, meaning don't try it without me. So as we are abiding with him, we're near him, we get to again see him. Now those are just four commands, briefly, that we took out of the last few hours of Jesus' life. Now let's take those four commands, walk with me, if you would, to a very familiar passage, Matthew chapter number 28. Matthew chapter number 28, it's called the Great Commission, You'll, you'll find it very familiar, I'm certain that you would. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 18. Again, don't, don't, don't leave those commands behind. We're picking those commands up and we're walking over here to the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came, and he's talking to the same group of people, and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, okay, so, so we're merging the commands and the Great Commission. And what Jesus is saying is, I want you disciples, serve like me, love like me, abide in me, believe in me. And now I want you to go make other people, other disciples who will serve like me, love like me, believe in me, and abide in me. And that they will make disciples to do the same, okay? I don't think there would be anybody in this room, or maybe, maybe a few, but I doubt there'd be many in this room who do not understand that Jesus' final instructions are to make disciples. And to make disciples who will serve like Jesus, love like Jesus, believe in Jesus, and abide in Jesus, and who will make more disciples to do the same. Probably not anything new to most of you. So this is Jesus' great commission. May I ask you, how many disciples of Jesus have you made who serve like him, who love like him, who abide in him, and who believe in him? You got to understand my question. My question wasn't, have you been faithful to church every Sunday morning? That wasn't my question. My question wasn't, have you found a role at church and filled it and been a servant? That that wasn't my question. I wasn't asking, are you so tired because you're so busy doing things like programs and ministries for people? That wasn't my question. I have one question. 
If the great commission of Jesus is to make disciples who obey his commands, then how many disciples have you made who obey his commands? I think the Western Christian church has dumbed down the Great Commission to show up on Sundays. As long as I'm here, that's what's important. I, I don't know if that's what Jesus would say. There are commands that he has given that he wants his, his followers to now find someone and tell those commands to them so much so that it becomes a part of their life that they share with someone else. And so, like, here's what I want to consider. I got to guess there are so many of you that when you read that, you're like, yeah, I want to make disciples. Yes, I know I should make disciples. Churches all over that probably say, yes, we get that that's the Great Commission. So if, if so many believers have the right desire to make disciples, then why aren't our churches bursting at the seams with disciples who are making disciples? There shouldn't be empty seats in churches. Every church should be overflowing, ready to build another church. Because every person who's following Jesus is filling this command of making new disciples. Which then leads me to ask this question. Could it, could it be that our plan for making disciples is different than Jesus' plan? See, you, you ask most churches today about making disciples, and there's books, and there's programs, and there's journals, and there's checklists, and I think they're good. We have books in our back table. So I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying, when you ask churches about making disciples, there's these things to do. My question is, what program did Jesus use? What, what software did he subscribe to to say, this is the discipleship plan for the church? What journal did Jesus pass out to his disciples and say, here, you fill this out, and we're all going to now be disciples? Jesus says, listen to me, obey me, and teach others to listen to me, and obey me, who will teach others to listen to me and obey me. If Jesus said, serve like me, love like me, abide in me, believe in me, you know what the centerpiece of Jesus' discipleship plan is? It's Jesus. It's not a book. It's not a program. It's not a journal. It is, look at Jesus. It's like he's the example of how to serve. He's the example of how to live. He's the source of our belief, and he's the source of our life as we abide in him. Meaning if we can just keep our eyes on Jesus, we will find in him that he is all we need. 
And if you think, man, Brian, you're stretching that a little bit. You're like bending that to say what you want to say. I want to show you a verse that the Apostle Paul uses in 2 Corinthians. You're welcome to turn there. I'll have it behind me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is talking about how people will read the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, because the New Testament wasn't written yet. He was actually writing the New Testament as he said this. But you will read the Bible, Paul says, and you're going to read it like there's a veil over it. You're not going to be able to see it rightly because you're not seeing Jesus in that. And it's just like how Moses wore a veil over his face so that the glory of God that he had seen at the top of Mount Sinai would not be seen by others. He veiled it. And when we read the Bible and we don't see Jesus in the Bible, we are veiling the Bible. And here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. Paul says this, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Now, I've got to pause right here. You don't need to do this, but if you look at the next chapter, chapter number four and verse number six, Paul is going to say the glory of the Lord is found in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, glory of the Lord, face of Jesus Christ, same thing. So I'm going to go back and begin reading this verse again. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord in the person, in the face of Jesus, are being, don't miss this, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, as we behold the glory of the Lord in the person of Jesus Christ, as we behold Jesus himself, that is the process of transformation for us becoming like Jesus. One little degree at a time. And Paul's saying, the more we look at Jesus, the more we look like Jesus. As we behold him, we become like him. That means that if we want to be more like Jesus today, we don't go do stuff like Jesus, we look at Jesus. And where do we see Jesus most? Well, what we leave sitting aside to watch the office. Sorry, I just had to circle back through that one again. My bad, my bad. From the seed of woman in Genesis 3 to the promised seed of Abraham to the son, uh, to, to Isaac, his son who laid down his life, we see Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. We even see Jesus in areas of Bible stories that we probably wouldn't think of. You think of Esau and Jacob. Think of how Jacob. How did Jacob gain the blessings of his father? He stood in front of his father in the appearance of and with the name of his brother. How do we get the blessings of the father? Well, because we stand in the appearance of with the name of our brother Jesus. That's how we get his blessings. The person of Jesus is all over the Old Testament from Joseph to Moses from, from, from Esther and Gideon to, to David and Ruth. The stories of Jesus are all over 
the Old Testament. And then he comes into the New Testament in the Gospels. And he doesn't come in all his glory because Philippians chapter 2 says the glory was his to come with. But he emptied himself coming and taking the likeness of man, the humble servant being obedient even unto the death of the cross. And his mission, Jesus' mission culminates in going to lay his life down for the rebellious ones he created. Okay, now I'm going to tell you something. If morning after morning you are willing to look at who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, I promise you one thing. If you are willing to look at him, your life will begin to be transformed. I didn't say if you start doing things like him, your life will be transformed. I said if you look at him. That's the promise of 2 Corinthians 3. As we behold him, we are transformed. And it's so true. Think about it. When the first thing you do in the morning is to look at Jesus' love for you. Romans 5.8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. So if his love for me is in a dead sinful condition, then when someone doesn't live up to my expectations, I could still love them. Why? Because I looked at Jesus that morning. I remembered how he loved me in my sinful condition, and I now can offer love to someone else who doesn't meet my expectations. When the first thing I do in the morning is to look at the boundless forgiveness that Jesus extended when he's on the cross, his hands are being nailed, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Then when someone hurts me, you know what I can do? I can offer forgiveness thinking, Father, forgive them. They probably didn't know how much they hurt me. When the first thing you do in the morning is you look at the humility of the king of kings kneeling to wash the feet of men who would use those feet to run from him. Crazy. When he, when he washed Judas's feet, if he was still present, he knew those feet would walk to the betrayer. And he knew every other disciple would walk away from him. And yet he still touched their feet with love. Well, you know what? That means when someone asks me to help them, I can. When the first thing you do in the morning is look at the incredible patience of Jesus. Especially as Romans 5 tells us when we were his enemy, it changes the way you respond to people who frustrate you and get in your way and let you down. And I promise, if you just morning after morning, you come back to look at Jesus, here's what's going to happen. It's going to begin to well up inside of you as Jesus begins to change you. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to, at some point, overflow. It just, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. As you take in Jesus and take in Jesus, at some point, the goodness of Jesus that's transforming you is going to change. And you're going to tell somebody about what you're learning about Jesus. Then you're going to go back and you're going to learn more about Jesus. And you're, you're going to find such joy in telling someone the last time. You get to tell them again and again. And you're going to keep coming back to Jesus and telling about Jesus. And pretty soon, this person you're telling about Jesus, because you're talking about Jesus, they're going to, at some point, hopefully be transformed to be able to see Jesus for themselves. And they're going to take in Jesus and take in Jesus and take in Jesus. And before you know it, as you see Jesus and you share Jesus with someone who's taking in Jesus, they're going to start sharing Jesus. And hey, without a flow chart, 
without a master schedule, without a church-wide program, a group of believers are making disciples. Huh. I thought it took an executive team for that. And thought we had to map out exactly what was supposed to happen. <laughs> the centerpiece of Jesus' discipleship program is Jesus. And if you are willing to every day step into looking at Jesus, you will eventually begin to make disciples. I, I just promise you it will be an overflow of your life. And I'll warn you. Not everybody's interested in being a disciple or, well, I shouldn't say not, that's true. Not everyone's interested in being a disciple, although we should. But you can't measure your, your, you can't measure your success of being a disciple maker by how many discipling relationships you have. How many did Jesus have? Twelve. How many made it? Eleven. Like, we're not, we're not looking for, like, dozens here. We're looking. I'm not going to pull off Jesus. Neither are you. So if we could find a couple, a few people in our lifetime that we can disciple who then will turn around and disciple someone else. What an impact can be made. But do you know why Jesus really wants you to make disciples? I think this is so cool. You know why Jesus wants you to make disciples? It's not because he's this king and he's saying, you do this, you do this, and you do it. No, 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 no. Jesus knows that if you are going to make disciples, it means one thing. You're going to be with him. You're going to have to spend time with him. And what, is, what does our God want more than anything? I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people. I want us to be together. We look at how he washes feet. We look at how he loves others. We look at the works that he does. And in doing so, we draw close and abide in him and find our life in him. And it begins to overflow. We are called to make disciples. Because Jesus knows that disciple makers get close to him. And they know him best. If you say, yeah, man, you know what? 2024. I want to be more like Jesus. Then guess what Jesus did? He made disciples. You need two things, in my opinion, and I'm not the smartest guy, but just in my opinion, you need two things to make disciples. You need a way to see Jesus, and you need somebody that you're telling. I really think that's about it. I don't think you need a journal. I don't think you need a program. I don't think you need a book, although books really help. I mean, they, they help. There, there are ways that I see Jesus. My journey started back in 2017 when a, bu a buddy of mine, actually, he came here and preached while we were on vacation, Jared Long. Jared Long handed me the book called A Gospel Primer. I took it home. Inside of the middle of, of that small book, it's on the table back there, inside the middle, there's 31 small paragraphs. Every one of them is about the gospel. And I would read number one on day one, and I'd read number two on day two, and I did this week after week, and then month after month, and it took me about two years. But after about two years, I told some, but one of my friends, hey, I'm reading this book. 
if I bought it for you, would you want to read it together with me? And he's like, yeah, well, yeah, sure. And we started doing it together. And for over a year and a half, we read the gospel primer together every day. And we just shared what one thing stood out to us. And I had a second buddy, and his name is Joe. And for four years now, at least 300 out of 365 days of the year, Joe and I share, to this day, we share what God showed us in the gospel primer. We have read it so many times, but the truth never gets old. It just gets deeper and it expands more. And to this day, here's the cool thing. Joe and I, we have both buried our dads now. We have both moved. We have both changed jobs. We have both had children go to college. And in the midst of our lives shifting and changing, we keep pointing each other to Jesus Joe is a different man today than he was four years ago, and he'll admit it to you. He was out of church, far from God, struggling. Today, his, he's impacting people. Not because of me, because of Jesus. But we still keep that communication going. Most of you know, my father passed away last Saturday. It's been the grace of God and the prayers of, of, of all of you that have sustained me incredibly. There was even a time this week where I actually asked the Lord, am I okay? Because every time somebody would say, hey, how, how are you doing? I would say, great. Like my 93-year-old dad went to heaven. Like, how do we not celebrate that? I'm not grieving. I'm celebrating and at some point, I was like, everybody keeps asking me how I'm doing, and, and I'm not answering the way I think most of them expect me to answer. Lord, is something wrong with me? I was sitting in our, my office over here on Wednesday, reading through the Last Supper, the conversations of the Last Supper, and I came to a verse that I, I want to just show you. You don't need to turn there. I want to show you what Jesus gave me. John 14. Jesus says to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Yeah, yes, Lord, thank you. And he says, you heard me say to you, I am going away. And I will come to you. There's a promise of leaving and there's the promise of coming. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I read that and I'm like, that's why I'm happy for my dad. I'm rejoicing because he's going to be with the Father and he's going to be with the Son who are far greater than us. I, I'm excited. And Jim, I know that you share the same sentiments. Jim's dad passed away on what day? Five days after my dad, Jim's dad, passed away. And we, we stood in the lobby of the funeral home together on Thursday night and prayed with one another as, as our hearts both. Well, we'll certainly miss the presence of our father, but we're celebrating the presence of our father with our father. That's good news. I would not have said that years ago. But I know why I say that. Because I've looked at Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you'd rejoice if you know where I was going. And I feel like I know where my dad's going. And I'm excited about it. He's going to get to be with God. Now, now listen, I didn't, I didn't lose a child. I didn't lose a spouse. 
I lost a 93-year-old dad. I'm not saying that everyone's going to have the same reaction. I'm just telling you my circumstance. But I would have struggled had I not been looking at Jesus. And so for those of you who raised your hand at the beginning or thought to, to, to yourself, I would like to be more like Jesus in 2024, then every morning find a way to see Jesus. Or, or as Matt said, if it's in the middle of the day, I just... I think the morning is helpful because it sets your mind of what you're going to do for the day. I realize some of you probably start early and you just get out of bed and go straight to work. That's fine. Find a way. Find a way every morning or every day to see Jesus. Those books will help you. Those books on the back table are going to give you the gospel in a short burst every day. And then can I also encourage you? Share what you saw in Jesus with someone. It doesn't, ha- you don't have to sound like a theologian. You can just simply say, hey man, there was, there was one, one thought that I read today. Here's, here's what it was. Man, Jesus is really good. But that will begin the journey of saying, now I'm going to go back and see more. And just keep seeking and keep sharing. Can I tell you something? I've been here four months now. I love what's happening at this church, watching you all. You are an incredible congregation. Last, last Sunday, I, I was standing at the back door as everybody was leaving, and, and when things kind of settled down, I started to walk to the front, and I saw a group of ladies surrounding my wife, just praying with her. Thank you. Thank you for that. And there was a group of guys around my son, Trevor, who was getting married, and just praying with him. Thank you for that. If someone ever tells you that they have a prayer request, Don't tell them, I'll pray for you. Stop and pray with them right then. We have to become a church where prayer is normal, not something that's only done in private. We had six people here at our prayer meeting last Tuesday night, and I was thrilled to be here together with you. Thank you so much. I think corporate prayer is important, but I think a culture of prayer only happens when people know, hey, prayer's important. Why? Because Jesus prayed. If Jesus prayed, I need to pray. Thank you for what you're doing. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to, to bow your head and close your eyes in just a moment. Here's, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to make today awkward for you. We're not going to pray. We're going to listen. I would love for you in the quietness of your seat to say, Jesus, what do you want to do in me this year? Lord, give me one area that you want me to become more like you. Just listen. It might be patience. It might be compassion. It might be generosity. It might be love or service. I don't know. But don't talk. Listen. And then this is where it gets awkward. I'm going to ask you to stand and after we're done praying, and I'm going to ask you to find someone that you don't even know. Like, I don't want you to turn to your husband or wife. I don't want you to turn to your son or daughter. I want you to find someone you don't know in this room. And I want you to stick your hand out and say, hey, my name, I'm Brian. You are? Okay. This is what Jesus wants me to become more like this year, I believe. Will you pray for me? And just the two of you or three of you or whoever, just stand there and pray for one another.
You don't have to go out to eat together, okay? You don't have to become best friends. Just pray with one another. So we'll listen, and then we'll pray, and then we'll close with a song. Can we close? Can we pray together?